Hi there, this is Dr. O, the host of Race, Health, and Happiness. Welcome to our special news series, RHH On Campus, where we are showcasing the talents of our student interns. We have a special three-part series on COVID-19 hosted by TMU student Xavier Oshinowo. He is interviewing members of the Black Scientist Task Force on Vaccine Equity. Each of these episodes focuses on one of three topics, which are the impact of COVID-19 in Black communities, community distrust, and the condition known as long COVID. Let's take a listen. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode. My name is Xavier Oshinoo, and this is RHH on Campus. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Upton Allen, a professor of pediatrics at the University of Toronto. He is also the head of the Division of Infectious Diseases at the Hospital for Sick Children or Sick Kids. In addition to his work with sick kids, Dr. Allen is a professor at the Institute of Health Policy and Management and Evaluation at the University of Toronto. Dr. Allen is a member of the Black Scientist Task Force on Vaccine Equity, a multidisciplinary team of Black experts created to share information about COVID-19 and vaccines with the Black Toronto communities and address their concerns. During this episode, I speak to Dr. Allen about Long COVID. Thank you for coming and welcome to the podcast. What is Long COVID? Would you like to give us a general overview of exactly what that is? Currently, Long COVID has been defined by by the World Health Organization as the onset of a variety of symptoms within three months after the onset of COVID illness and lasting for two months. We recognize, though, that this is an entity that is still being researched so that it can be better understood. And and it is possible that things might change in the future as we get more information. Right. And what are some of the main symptoms of long COVID? We have a constellation of symptoms representing various forms of dysfunction in organ systems. And in this regard, for example, if the chest or heart systems are involved, one might have shortness of breath, one might have chest pain, there might be the sensation of the heart pounding, we call it palpitations. Uh, low energy right. or fatigue, mm-hmm. their muscle aches, joint pains. And often some individuals will speak of having brain fog, which is, is interesting in the sense that it might not be easily detected in some individuals. What, what do you mean by brain fog? Because personally, I've never, I've never heard of it. And, and um, it's, it's that sensation that you're not... You're wanting to think of something, but you're having difficulty executing. You're, you're, right. you're not as sharp in terms of memory, and, and, and that tends to be something that people experience sometimes uh, after having uh, illnesses, including the flu, for example. It might be seen okay. transiently. Okay, okay. And are would you say that the side effects of long COVID are major like you know they can deteriorate deteriorate your health to the point where you can't really function anymore or you know possibly you could die due to to some of these um symptoms or health impacts well it's it's a really great question we're still trying to understand what long covid really represents in terms of the spectrum of severity but what we do see 
um, is that um, individuals will have varying degrees of dysfunction. Uh, for some individuals, it might be very mild, um, uh, whereas for other individuals, it might be uh, more of a problem for them. Um, they, for example, might have more difficulty concentrating, um, uh, more fogginess of the brain for some individuals. Uh, yeah. And hopefully, though, uh, we don't see the worst end of the spectrum of any illness that could lead to anyone dying. And, you know, you're talking about data, collecting data. How important is this data retention to, you know, finding the solution to curing the long COVID? Well, it's, it's really important that um, uh, research is conducted to get a better understanding of um, what exactly is long COVID in terms of yeah. the spectrum of clinical manifestations. Uh, mm -hmm. How severe um, are the various components of what constitutes um, long COVID? And then, uh, of course, how does one respond to treatment? But it means collecting the appropriate data in a, in a meaningful, structured way so that we get a better understanding of what is going on. Right. And it seems like, it, would you say that it's more difficult to collect this data since there's so many extremities or so many um so many different um uh, you know health impacts that it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly where the major problem is yeah it's a great a great question and, and certainly one of the challenges that you know is faced in a situation where one has what we refer to as non-specific clinical findings. In other words, clinical findings that might be due to several different things or that one needs to, first of all, ensure that one has what we refer to as a case definition. And that's what I referred to when I made reference to the World Health Organization's case definition. Now, once you have that, then it makes it easier to determine whether or not cases that are seen fit that definition. But you're right, one has to come up with a long list of various things for doctors to know, to look out for, so that the appropriate documentation can take place, whether it's fevers and joint pains or tummy pains or chest pains or brain fog, memory issues that I mentioned. All of those, that long mm -hmm. list has to be collected. Then on top of that, one has to collect information regarding the state of the person's health before COVID so that one determines whether or not right. these conditions that one is seeing, whether or not they're related to COVID or something that pre-existed. And then there are lots of um, data that needs to be collected. For example, alignment with certain ethno-racial groups, including the black population, for example. Right, right. There are some individuals who potentially could be at greater risk of having uh, um, long COVID. Okay. And are there supports in place to assist the Black community with the impacts of long COVID? Yeah, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an important point. This relates to what supports should be in place to assist any community, including the Black community. And, and I would say that um, perhaps um, uh, there, there are a couple of ways that one could approach the issue of supports and, and supports that might be in place. The first is to ensure that physicians, 
including primary health care providers, are brought up to speed in terms of what constitutes long COVID. Mm-hmm. So it's that educating the educators, educating the physicians so that they are aware. Right. That's the first thing. The second thing is to have information available, the resources available um, on the appropriate websites like local public health agencies, uh, Ontario Health in the case of Ontario, uh, um, colleges of physicians websites, for example. And right. I know that those are available and efforts are being made to make the information that's available uh, user-friendly so that the public uh, can understand. But in addition to that, I know that we and others have um, uh, advocated for uh, there to be connections with uh, Black community organizations mm-hmm. and groups um, working with trusted partners in the communities so that uh, members of the black community can get the help that they need. And this is really important because it might well be that the there are various forms, various manifestations of long COVID within the black community but unless members of the black community are able to access health care appropriately, those uh, manifestations might not be detected. Okay. And so in other words, you know, you don't want people to suffer in silence. And so we need to ensure that access is, is, is adequate. Right. And what is the best way that we could engage with this? So would you say that we should just like giving giving them the proper outreach you know going to these communities and sharing information you know could possibly give talks even this podcast for example could be something that you could send out to people would you anything else you could add it will require a multifaceted strategy, uh, literally all of the above, but, but importantly, one needs to have black voices, uh, respected individuals who are knowledgeable right. on the su- subject, who the community can call upon to access information through um, webinars, special lectures, partnerships with existing groups within the communities who already have boots on the ground, so to speak. The Mm -hmm. the partnerships with the community health centers, like, you know, for example, in in the case of Toronto, Taiboo, Black Creek, among others, those types of partnerships are going to be important to ensure that um, the, uh, the, the Black community knows uh, where to go to for information right. and and also to have their questions answered. Right, and they definitely want it from a a source that they can trust because yes. there's a lot of trust, mistrust, and you know, why yeah, you know, it's, it's, so a, it's a really um, uh, it's one of the things that we've struggled with. Um, there's several reasons for for mistrust. You know, I, I, there, there clearly are long-standing historical atrocities that are well known, and, and I think that's something that it, it transcends generations, and so we need to be aware of those. They're everyday everyday issues around everyday racism and discrimination that lead to mistrust. And and that is definitely an issue. 
But at the same time, I think that what we need to do in, in black leaders, you know, need to ensure that people are not further disadvantaged because of so much mistrust that they essentially put themselves at the back of the line when it comes to accessing healthcare today or accessing education relating to healthcare today. And so it's 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 a tricky situation where you could uh, have so much lack of trust in the system that you stay away and put yourself um, in a worse situation. And so it's that delicate balance of ensuring that people know that they should still come forward, notwithstanding the lack of trust. And hopefully, if they can see voices that they are familiar with in terms of the faces of individuals, people with whom they can identify, maybe that might allow them to come forward. Mm -hmm. Okay. And this... This mistrust would it extend further than nationally, like it's an international thing that is an in, an issue, or is just something that you see you'll see mainly in Canada. Or yeah, the lack of mis- um, lack of trust everywhere. is a is a global thing. It it um it's uh it's it's not only confined yeah. to the to the black um you know communities, but also there are other ethno-racial groups that have um a, a good reason for um, having mistrust uh, in the system. Uh, It's an important point, though, to recognize that um, uh, because of uh, the, in the case of individuals from the diaspora groups, uh, because of great connections between diaspora groups and, you know, their home countries, uh, that, that, you know, constant um, flow of information back and forth removes the boundaries associated with international borders. And so um, uh, if your relatives right. in, you know, Barbados or Nigeria or Jamaica or wherever have a lack of trust in the system, they will share information with you and vice versa, right? So it's important for us to bear that in mind. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the obstacles that you'll see, are they related to immigration, citizenship, or like possibly getting a health card? Uh, you know, like how in Canada, everyone needs a, a health card. Is it is that an issue that you see? Um, we it's it's hard to attribute all issues around access to health care to any specific factor, but it's important that the policymakers, healthcare providers identify potential barriers and try to overcome or remove those barriers. So for example, in the rollout of the COVID vaccines, you want to ensure that people come forward regardless of their health card status, right? So it's important to, to for providers and policymakers to think beyond the barriers so that we can ensure that everyone is reached. Okay. Awesome. Well, that is all the time that I have with you. So thank you very much, uh, Dr. Allen, for coming. Your information was very, very helpful, very insightful. And I hope that everyone listening is able to kind of get an idea of what long COVID is, how they can kind of learn more about it, how they can find the help they need if they have it or if they think they might have it, you know. So um, thank you very much.
Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be uh, with you. I think it's an important topic that you are undertaking. And I think it's important for us to, uh, as we think of long COVID, I'd like to end by saying that while we think of long COVID among adult folks, we should also remember long COVID in children. And in that regard, it might be easier to detect the manifestations of long COVID among adults than it is in very young children. So it's important to think of both ends of the age spectrum and across the age spectrum. Right. And do you have any advice for upcoming students who want to make a difference in the healthcare industry? And because, you know, with all the experience you, you've had so far. There are several ways that several forms of advice that we could provide. What I usually say to people um, is that whether or not it's in a healthcare system or law or anything, it's important to ensure that you have good mentorship mm -hmm. and that you identify individuals who uh, can assist you in two respects. One is as a general mentor, and that person will speak more about um, your academic or professional progress in general and tell you what to do, where to do it, and how to do it. And then there are individuals who are more content mentors aligned with the specific area of your study or work. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you're interested in medicine, then somebody who's aligned with that aspect of medicine. Because it's really important to be guided along, because there's nothing more uh, sad, I think, than seeing situations where, for example, there are applications for summer student research positions and students from the black community didn't apply because they didn't know it existed. Mm -hmm. And so that's just one small example of the need to ensure that there's somebody looking out for you uh, that can help you to recognize some of the things that you ought to do, when you should do them, how you should do them, right. why you should do them. That, that is so important. So mentorship, I would say, would be extremely important. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you again. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This was the last episode of the COVID series. We will be back soon with another three guests. Stay tuned.